Well, this morning we are in week two of what we are hopefully launching and dubbing as a paradigm shift in our church. That as we talk about what does it look like for us as a church, as followers of Jesus, to live out and to be light into the world, we believe that this idea of one anothering, and I talked to some of you, you were like, it's so funny how you're going to use one anothering as like a verb, and I was like, we're going to all over the place. Because for us, it will be a verb. We are going to one another each other in the fullness of what that means as we walk over the next five weeks uh, for the rest of the series of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I came across this idea of, um, in this story that was written by Ernest Hemingway. And he wrote this. It's, we wrote a story called Paco, All is Forgiven. And maybe you heard this story. It goes like this. No one could really say why he ran away. Or perhaps he didn't, but was kicked out of his home by his father for something foolish that he had said or did. Anybody feel that way? Either way, Paco found himself wandering the streets of Madrid, Spain, with hopes of entering into a profession that would most likely get him killed. Bullfighting. Those who train under a mentor have a good chance of surviving this profession, but Paco's memory of his mistakes and guilt over what had happened blindly drove him to this one-way street to suicide. But that was the thing, but that was the thing his father wanted which was why he tried something. De- that was the last thing that his father wanted, and that's why he tried something desperate that we hope would work. There was little to no chance that he would be able to find Paco wandering the streets of Madrid. So instead, he put an advertisement in the local paper, El Liberal. And the adver- advertisement read this. Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montaña at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. Paco Paco is such a common name in Spain that when the father went to the Hotel Montaña the next day at noon, there were 800 young men (laughs) named Paco waiting for their fathers, waiting for the forgiveness they thought was possible. And I thought, man, what a great story. But also I thought about it, like what links that this father went to to tell his son that he was forgiven, to reconcile with his son. And then the second thought I had in the midst of this is, could you imagine as a father showing up at this hotel, waiting for your son, praying that he would arrive, and there's 800 other young men that are waiting on the other side to see if their father will turn the corner and arrive. Man, it made me think of not only how the father's heart yearned and longed for forgiveness for his son, for reconciliation, but how much those young men as well. When they thought that there was nothing else, there's no chance that reconciliation and forgiveness could be offered to them. When, a, when they read an advertisement, they went running because they thought what wasn't possible was now possible. And so they showed up. And I wonder for us, how many of us might have been sitting here or over the years had kind of felt this distance between family members or in relationships, and you are on the other side of your phone every day, every moment, waiting for a text message to show up and say, hey, son, daughter, friend, show up here at this time. All is forgiven. Love, insert your name here. 
how many of us are living this life where we're waiting for a text message like that. We're waiting for someone to respond to us and say, come, all is forgiven. Come and meet me face to face and I will show you that we are one again. How many of us would show up for a promise like that? How many of us who have longed for a relationship to be healed, to be forgiven, to be bound back together would show up if we received a message like that? I know I would. I know I would. And so as followers of Jesus, as followers of the way that we are forgiven people, we are forgiven people who forgive people. Like the reality is that if you have been forgiven in the way that Jesus in his undeserved favor gave lavish forgiveness on you, then we are to be forgiven people to understand that that is who we are. And then as we operate in a way that forgives others. And so I want you to open up your Bible if you have it with you. Uh, It's going to be on the screen as well. To Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. This is what it says. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I'm going to read that one more time. This idea of be. The idea of becoming kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I thought about a lot of what does it look like in, what does forgiveness look like? What does it look like to forgive? And I don't know if you, you just kind of go to the places that you're always operating in. And for me, we have young kids. And so a lot, this is like all over our daily lives, right? Like we have probably like 30 times in 30 minutes where we have to like arguments, you know, flailing, arms hitting each other, like screams, like it's always conflict sometimes. Not always. I should say like, my boss can be like, it's okay in our house. You can come over and see. It's not always that way. I say in streams, but yes, there is chaos. Like I know some of you like growing up, you had chaos in your life. You had siblings or friends that you were always warring with. And then when that moment of um, inflicting damage, whether it's emotional, physical, or as you get older, maybe it's mental kind of play and damage. Like when you feel like this is uh, a part of your life, what, what happens? And so I thought, this is, let me give you a snapshot of what happens, current context in our family. So all of a sudden, you know, a kid does something wrong. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, well, there's got to be a consequence for that. And then all of a sudden you hear like a scream or something like that. And you run over there and like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And the tears are still going. And I was like, well, you don't need to apologize to me. Apologize to whoever you hurt. And then it's like quickly like, I'm sorry, Gwen. Or I'm sorry, Stephen. Or Stephen's like, I'm sorry, right? And then what are, what's the response usually? Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Or as you get older, right, when you say, like, I'm sorry, and then, then somebody says to you, like, oh, don't even worry about it. We all make mistakes. Right? Like, that's, that's what we talk about. This is an interesting thing to say, is that saying I'm sorry, according to a writer that I was, I was kind of preparing for this, he says, I'm sorry, apologizing is the world's substitute for forgiveness. Think about that. I'm sorry is the world's, apologizing is the world's substitution for forgiveness. Right? Like our kids, when they say, I'm sorry, and then they say, like, it's okay, and then they go back to being 
siblings again. Or for us, like maybe we hurt each other or her coworker or a friend and we say, I'm sorry. And then they say, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Like I get texts or I send out texts. I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't follow through on this. I'm like, it's okay. Don't even worry about it. I know you got a lot going on in your lives, right? We circumvent with, I'm sorry, the hurt and the pain that's caused or the tension that is reality between us. Like, I'm sorry says, man, I want to get, like, for my kids, I'm sorry for them is, like, I want to get around the consequences that are about to hit me, right? Like, I don't want to have a timeout. I don't want, like, um, to lose, like, Kindle time. I don't want to do, I don't want, so I'm going to say I'm sorry so I can get around it. Any other parent in the room, like, ha this is my life, right? Or teenagers, like, oh, yeah. Like, or even, like, I'm going to say I'm sorry so that I don't get grounded, like, when I was a teenager, or get my car taken away. Like, mm, mom, I know I got a ticket, and I know I was going, like, 17 over, but I'm sorry. Can I sell my car? Right? Like, sorry circumvents. It avoids conflict. It wants to get it over quickly. Sorry is a reaction. Like, I know that I made a mistake, but I don't want it to make it the big deal that it is. I want to say I'm sorry and just get it over with. And this is what I think we're talking about. Forgiveness, on the other hand, is not just a quick circumvent of the situation. Forgiveness is, on the other hand, as followers of Jesus Christ, for us, It's not an option. Like right there in the text, it says, forgive one another. And then right after, it says, forgive one another. If you're followers of me, if you're followers of the way of Jesus, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's not an option. Forgiveness is not an option as way of Jesus. And I just want you to sit there for a second, because maybe you're like, oh man, I've done a lot of damage as a follower of Jesus to other people in the world. Or followers of Jesus have done a lot of damage to me. And on the other side of that damage, nobody ever sought forgiveness or asked for forgiveness. Here at Pine Lake Covenant Church, forgiveness is not an option for us. It is the way of Jesus to which we operate and move every day. Because this is what it looks like. I was thinking about it, and what we're trying to tell with um, our kids is that forgiveness looks this way. So what we do is we try to get our kids to come together. And whether it's Gwen or Stephen, we say, um, all right, Gwen, look at each other face to face. Gwen, say to Stephen, Stephen. And then Stephen goes, yes, Gwen. I'm sorry for using my hands to inflict damage upon you or hurt upon you. I'm sorry for using my hands. And then what she says is, the natural thing is it's okay. But then this is where, as ways of Jesus, discipleship starts to play out a role. Is it's not done there. That Stephen, we're trying to teach him and all the other kids, is after they say it's okay, or they're physically okay, or they've calmed down for a moment, they say, see, we are teaching our kids to say, will you forgive me? And then the response is not always yes. Like, we're getting to that point where we're like, no, I won't forgive you. And then it's like, then it breaks down and the kid's are like, ah, they're not forgiving me. They have to forgive me, right? And so we're like, forgive me. And then this is the last part. When they say finally, yes, you're forgiven. What we say is look at each other and hug it out. That distance that's physically between you, merge it. Share a physical, tangible feeling of love and hug each other. Right? I'm telling you, parents, if you've got teenagers or college students, try it out. When there's conflict between your mother, there's tension, and they've got to apologize and say, ah, will you forgive me? Say, okay, look at each other's eyes. Look deep in each other's eyes. Now hug it out. 
And then if you're like, if they like hug it out for like, blah, blah, say, now hold it for a minute. Right? Like they'd be like, mm, I'm never, they'll never do anything wrong again. Cause they know you're gonna make them hug it out. Right? Like if my, did they, if my mom made me do that with my twin sister, oh Lord, we would have been the most peaceful kids ever. But here's the thing about forgiveness. Like if it's not a way of saying I'm sorry to circumvent the situation, the reality of hand, then forgiveness is a decision. Forgiveness is a decision that you make. Jesus didn't like to go to the cross, didn't want to go to the cross. And we see clearly in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is tearing out blood, saying, God, if there is another way. But he decided to follow God's way, his call, to go to the cross, to walk it so that we might be forgiven. Forgiveness is also costly. Like forgiveness, the most that it can cost you is your life, because it costs Jesus his life. But it probably won't cost you your life, but it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you an emotional investment. It's going to cause you frustration, sleepless nights. It is costly. Forgiveness is costly. Because once you make the decision and you feel in response to God saying, you got to go ask for forgiveness, or you got to seek forgiveness, or you got to offer it to someone, that's going to cause you, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. Because then the next thing is, forgiveness is undeserved absolutely undeserved. The tension and the hurt that they have caused to you in this world to say, hey, eye for an eye. There's consequences for this. Get retribution. Get even. Forgiveness is undeserved. The pain and the deep wounding that we have caused Christ and one another doesn't deserve to be forgiven, undone. It makes no sense. But Jesus... In this offense that he had, that God had with all of creation, Jesus decided it cost him his life. It was undeserved, but he gave it anyway. But it's not just that, it's total. And what I mean, like, what do you mean like forgiveness is total? It releases people of guilt. Like how many times have you asked for forgiveness or have offered forgiveness, but the weight of guilt and shame either still resides on you or you still implement it on others. That you refuse to bring it up, to think about it, to talk about the offense with others so that they will have an understanding of why your frustration is with them. This is hard in my own life. I have a great memory, which means when I talk about forgiveness, I often have the hardest time not bringing out up past offenses. Hold me accountable, church. It is the truth. Like, it is total. It releases. It is a moving as far as the east is from the west. That God has removed that sin from us that we should, in forgiveness of one another, remove it as far as we can and from them. But forgiveness is also final. That God isn't holding it over your head when he wants to bring it back out when you've been bad. Or when you go to heaven, there's not a file drawer that Jesus is pulling out going, uh, all right, Nancy, Nancy, Nancy. Yes, Nancy, okay, okay, wow. No, Nancy's going to be really short. Like, it's fine. Nancy's great. Mark's, on the other hand, I don't know about that one. Um, 
He's a youth pastor. Well, I'm just kidding. I was one. But like, that's the thing is it's final. Like, it's not being held over your head, right? Forgiveness isn't waiting for you to be like, oh man, it still follows me around. It's not a cloud that follows you all the time that rains. It gets pushed away. It's over. It's final. He has forgiven you. But people, if we are forgiven people who forgive people, let me say this. It's not going to be easy. We're not going to be able to understand what this means. It's so hard to live this out. It is absolutely and utterly counterintuitive to the way that we live. So is the way of Jesus. It is counterintuitive to the way in which you live right now. That's why followers of Jesus were not mindless in just how we follow Jesus. It's not easy. Not everybody can do it. Even people that were alive when Jesus was there was looking at him, seeing exactly what it looked like to follow Jesus. They couldn't do it. Because it was so foreign to them. It's foreign to us. It's not going to make sense. But then if we are people... If we are people who are forgiven, who forgive others, then it has to lead toward repentance. This is the biggest thing that we are hoping and praying that is lived differently in our family. That The way of forgiveness leads to repentance, which leads to a different life. My prayer as a dad, that every time we have this interaction with my kids and their, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Yes, let's hug it out. Is that they will go away and live differently. My heart is that they will live repentance without even knowing what repentance is. Is that we're trying to pattern that life with me and my wife and friends is that when we come, we offer forgiveness, that we walk away living differently. Repentance has to be the core, a part of forgiveness. That many times Jesus would go to people and you read all through scriptures, he'd be like, your sins are forgiven, right? Sins are forgiven. And they would go and they would tell Everybody, even if Jesus said, don't tell everybody. Like, <laughs> I love that. I love when we said that because it's like, don't do this and now you do it. I was like, ah, the writers get humanity. They get me, right? But sometimes Jesus would forgive their sins and then tell them to go and sin no more. Like, remember, like he'd say, hey, now go and live differently. You have been healed. Live differently. Don't live as you're blind anymore. Don't live as if you're lame anymore. Go and live differently. That repentance, turning around, going the other way, living different is a part of being forgiven. The way of forgiveness leads to repentance. That in my relationship with you, when we have tension, and I love that we talked about loving one another. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to get it all wrong. And then we're going to have to live this out. That I'm going to come to you and seek forgiveness, or we're going to come together and we're going to seek forgiveness. And then my hope is, is that in this relationship that we have with one another, that I no longer want to live in a way that is tension between us. That I don't want to live in a way that causes you emotional hurt, mental hurt, physical hurt, spiritual hurt, because we've all experienced that as well. I don't want to do that anymore. So what we're going to come into forgiveness, we're going to turn away and we're going to live in the opposite direction of which we are living because that is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we're talking about in terms of forgiveness in the core of what it is. It's not only talking about saying, I'm sorry, but saying, I forgive you. Will you forgive me? I want to repent and turn around. That's why there is so much more power in forgiveness than it is apologizing. 
Because both of you come to the place, the offender and the, and the offended come together and say, yes, you're forgiven. And they both choose in this way to dynamically live in a different way than the way that they were living in relationship to each other. It wasn't only on the other person who either offended or was off- offensive that is responsible for changing the way. They come together in this place of relationship and they say, we don't want to live this way anymore. But here's that question. We've done this before. But you might say, Austin, what if they are like your daughter and they say, no, I don't forgive you? <laughs> How many of us have that's like, will you forgive me? No. And then you're like, what do I do? And I, that was the end of the script. The script, where are we going? I don't know where we're going now. Like, you're following a script. I have a script if you want it later to, to ask for forgiveness, right? Like, I, you, you're like, what happens? Well, here, let me tell you this. Jesus says a whole lot about loving your enemies and who persecute you and do you harm. So if you want to sit for another hour, we can unpack that too. That's a whole nother series. That's a whole nother conversation. That Jesus, if somebody comes to you and says, nah, I don't forgive you. Then Jesus, who says, well, fine, love your enemies. Love those who persecute you. Love those who want to do you harm. As followers of Jesus, it's not like, fine, they didn't forgive me. Let's go. Jesus is a lot, a lot about loving your enemies as well. So if they don't forgive you, Go back to loving. Going back to, you know, it's like heaping hot coals on top of their head with good works, with love. It's crazy. The way of Jesus is hard. Like now we're combining love and forgiveness. Like we're like, uh-uh. Like all of you are like, I'm not coming back. This is too, good. This is too terrible. Like this is too hard. Like it is hard. But that is then when we get to the other part. It's really hard, but it's also too good. There's no way that any relationship that I've ever been with and been engaged in that lives like this, that is too good to walk away from. This is the relationship with Jesus. It is undeserved. It's costly. It's total a final. And I get to operate in a way that says, Jesus no longer is in intention with me, but that we walk together hand in hand, foot by foot, side by side with Jesus because he has forgiven me. And that in that way, in that forgiveness that he gives to me, shows me a way which to, to live differently with one another, with other people. There are people that were in Jesus' life that says, I can't live this way. You're going to have people that are, you're going to go and you're going to seek forgiveness from, and you're going to seek an apology from, or you're going to ask forgiveness from, and they're going to say no. And the way of Jesus says that's, oh, that's a reality. It's a reality what Jesus lives, but that does not excuse us from living the way of Jesus. But here is the last part. Forgiveness is not only a way of looking and repenting and living differently. Deciding to one-on-one say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to live in difference in relationship with you. It is for the power and the point of forgiveness. It's reconciliation. I'm not saying... Let me see it right from the top. I'm not saying that when somebody comes and asks for forgiveness, when you come and ask for sinners, that the hurt is not going to still be there. That you have to 100% trust this person. And be like, well, everything's okay. It's written off. We're not Jesus. We're called to live like Jesus. 
We're supposed to walk in the way of reconciliation. What is the point of forgiveness if it doesn't start to stitch back together the things that pulled us apart? The things that we took a knife or scissors to, to tangibly cut the connection that we had to one another. What is the point of forgiveness if those stitching doesn't come back together? Through days, weeks, months, years of building up that trust. I'm not saying if someone's a gambling addiction to say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm never going to do it again, and go give them $100,000 and say, I trust you. (laughs) You're forgiving them of the the mistake they made, but I'm telling you, don't go give them all the money in the world. But it doesn't mean when forgiveness is offered at the door of your house, if we use the house, it doesn't mean saying, yes, I forgive you, closing the door and leaving forgiveness on the outside. It means opening a door and letting it in. That our God is a reconciling God. That Jesus' death and resurrection, his forgiveness for us and to us is the sole purpose of bringing us back into a relationship with God. The forgiveness that he offers you to say, I see that I am in tension with you. I have done everything that tells me to put me on the outside of the community, outside of the family, to be the redheaded stepchild that doesn't get any blessing. But your forgiveness opens the door back into my life, not so that you can just come into the house. Not that you can come in the house, but still feel isolated, alone, and separated from the rest of the family. No, it's to come and sit at the table. And not just at the table, but at the seat next to Jesus Christ. And not just to sit next to Jesus Christ and be ignored. Because Jesus didn't want you there, but Paul put you there. Or Peter is like, hey, hey, let me say the seat for him. And Jesus is like, why did you do that? Right? Have you ever had that? Like, you do not want to sit next to somebody, and all of a sudden... There they are. You're like, (laughs) I'm going to eat quickly and then leave, right? Like Jesus is not eating quickly in order to change chairs or go sit somewhere else. He comes and invites you in forgiveness and reconciliation to be at the table, to sit next to him, to have his full attention, to be delighted over, to be reminded that the tension that was created between you and I, I, Jesus is in the process of Weaving it back together. Putting it back together again. That even when Jesus forgives us, it's not so that we stay on the outside of his house, outside of his kingdom. It's so that we're welcomed in. We're welcomed to the table. We sit next to him. We commune with him. We have his full attention. We look at him eye to eye, and he says, I love you. You absolutely don't deserve it. It cost me my life. I will never hold it over your head. It's done. I love you. I delight in you. We should do the same thing. Who have we forgiven but still shut out of our house? That's not allowed at our table. That if we just texted them and said, all is forgiven, come sit at my table at six o'clock. I have your favorite meal sitting ready for you. Just in hopes that they would show up. Because you don't want to just say, thank you, I forgive you too. You want them at your table. You want to see them eye to eye. You desperately want to be back in relationship with them. You want it. This is a powerful force. 
This is a powerful force. If we get this right as a church, it changes the way that people interact with us, view us, see us, interact with Jesus. That God doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood of Jesus, which washed you clean, that we might be back into a relationship with him, the God of reconciliation. It cost him his life, and he forgives us our sins so that we might sit at the table with the king as the son and daughter of the Most High God. We show up at the kingdom of heaven, at the table of Jesus, because he has sent you a text message saying, meet me at the table. All is forgiven. Would you pray with me? Father, (laughs) I don't act like a good, good father. The way that you treat me, engage, and interact with me is more than I dare dream or imagine, and it's something that I pray I live to. I pray that I live the same way in response with my own children, my friends and my family, my neighbors, my co-workers. that as your son desired to release the tension and the division that it was between us and God, who loves us so much, my prayer is that I would do the same thing. Not perfectly. But God, there's some of us here, and I feel it deeply right now, who have been seeking forgiveness, who have offered forgiveness, but still feel the full weight of the shame. And whether that's between us and someone else, Jesus, you said, before we even start worshiping again in a minute, if there is something in the way, God, go seek reconciliation with each other. It's on my heart. Who do I need to text right now to ask for forgiveness, to seek forgiveness from, to say, all is forgiven. Can we hang out? And God, for some of us, that might be you and us. That it's been a long time since we have said to you, I love you. And that we've sat long enough to hear you say, I love you. Maybe some of us need to just hear a message sent deep into our heart, into our head, that says, Austin, all is forgiven. Come home. God, would you do a powerful work in us that we can't do. We can't forgive like you. We can't live into this reconciliation like you. But God, I don't want it to be a cheap imitation. I want to teach my kids that forgiveness is a cheap, cheap imitation. 
of God. Come. Change us at Pine Lake to be reconcilers, to be forgiven people who forgive people. We ask this in your son's precious and saving name. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we live and move and pray. Amen. Hear this benediction and receive it. Mother, father, son, daughter, brother, sister, friend, uncle, aunt, co-worker, neighbor, you are forgiven. Now go and forgive your mother, your father, your son, your daughter, your brother, your sister, your auntie, your uncle, your co-worker, your neighbor. You are forgiven so that you might forgive others. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.